Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Melody Musgrove and Dr. Kathy Grace with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Okay, well, we are so happy to have as our guest today on Ed's Up, Jackie Mater. Jackie is social media editor for the prestigious Heckinger Report, and we are just delighted to have you. Welcome to Ed's Up, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, as we, Dr. Grace and I are both going to be conducting the, this interview today, and so we're going to tag team a little bit. I'll take the first couple of questions, and then Dr. Grace will take the next couple of questions. So, Jackie, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to do the work that you do? I happen to know that you're a woman after my own heart and a former special education <laughs> teacher. So how do you go from being yes. a special education teacher to social media editor? <laughs> um, I get that question a lot. So I, I taught for a few years in Charlotte, North Carolina. I taught middle school special education and uh, my school was actually, the middle school where I taught was shut down. Several schools were shut down during that year, and they were aiming to close lower-performing middle schools and open up more K-8 through schools. So my school was unfortunately part of that shutdown movement. So when I knew it was shut down and, you know, I was one of the last-in, first-out type of situations, I started, I also was burnt out, which I know a lot of teachers can really relate to. And I had also been growing really frustrated, I guess, with how little knowledge there seemed to be of the issues I saw in my classrooms with my students or at the school. And I, I'd always, always had journalism in the back of my mind. And so I figured, you know, maybe this is a good time to pursue journalism since I am soon to be out of a job. So after my school was shut down, I applied to some graduate schools for journalism and was accepted to one. And so I um, completed my graduate degree in journalism and coming right out of that, the Heckinger Report had an opening to cover education in Mississippi, which was something I really wanted to do because while I was teaching, I worked uh, for Teach for America in the summers, training new teachers in the Mississippi Delta and so I was really passionate about and interested in writing about education in Mississippi. So it was just so serendipitous at that time. And since I started with Heckinger, that was, gosh, eight years ago, I covered Mississippi. I've covered teacher preparation. And now I'm covering early childhood education and also uh, working as our multimedia editor. And I would like to say that you did an excellent job in Mississippi. You and I worked together uh, back several years ago when you were in the state, and you certainly do have a heart for education, and particularly education of young children. So we thank you for the work you did for us back in those days. And the Heckinger Report does such a great job of really you know, digging in deep and using data and research to document and to report the news that you do. And uh, just we really appreciate the depth that you guys go to to really get it right. And uh, so that's why we love the Heckinger Report here at Ed's Up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So you guys have long focused on early childhood as one of the areas that is important to you. But recently you've been shining a bright light on the intersection of special education and early childhood. Of course, we know that research shows early intervention in the first three years is critical to help children with disabilities succeed um, in school and in life later on. 
You wrote a piece recently about parents struggling to get early intervention services during this time when we're all limiting in-person contact to slow the spread of the coronavirus. And in that piece, you shared your own personal experience with your son receiving support from his speech therapist. And would you mind talking about that experience and what that's been like? Yeah, um, so this was really ironic in terms of my reporting life and my personal life colliding. So a few months ago, I wrote a story about preschool programs for students with disabilities. Those are public preschool programs. And during that process, I became really interested in what's available for kids with disabilities before they get to preschool. So, you know, this early intervention program that's available in states, every state for infants and toddlers up to age three, I feel like hasn't gotten as as much attention. So I was in the process of reporting a story about early intervention and research shows, you know, these therapies that are available for children from birth to age three are really effective if they're given early and often. And, you know, one by one, parents I was talking to said, well, actually, I don't really have much to talk about right now because our therapy just got shut down or our, you know, therapist office just closed. And, you know, I just talked to our therapist and actually everything is, is stopped indefinitely. And I heard a lot of despair from these parents. And at the same time, you know, our son, my son is four now, his preschool closed. And so he's been home with us. And my husband and I noticed that his speech, he graduated speech therapy in January and his speech since he's been home has gotten significantly harder to understand. He's spending a lot of time, understandably, because we're both working engaging in pretend play and and he'll do a lot of independent play and he loves dinosaurs so those dinosaurs are talking to each other and singing and we we noticed he was starting to use a lot more nonsense words and then that would kind of flow over into his speech with us so he was harder to understand he wasn't really using the words he used to use anymore and we hadn't talked about it but one morning you know I turned to him and and just said, like, have you noticed that that our son is doing this? And my husband right away said, yes. And it's concerning me because I can't really understand him anymore. And of course, everything is virtual now, right? So my son is having Zoom meetings with his preschool teachers and Zoom connection morning circles with his friends. And I found myself having to sit there and narrate what he was saying. So he would say something and I would see his teachers kind of nod along and and maybe make out a few words, and then I would have to, you know, kind of translate it for them and repeat what he had said, and then they would understand it. So I, you know, it all kind of came together. I realized, you know, I've been talking to all these parents who are worried, and here my own son is going through this, where I'm seeing his speech regress, because he, so he attends a preschool, it's an inclusive preschool, half the students have disabilities or developmental delays and half do not. And so he actually was seeing his speech therapist almost every day because she would visit his classroom to work with all students. So even though he wasn't in speech therapy anymore, he was still getting regular speech assistance from her and also from the three teachers that were in his classroom, including his lead teacher, who has a master's in um, early childhood special education. So he was getting a lot of support and speech. So I wrote this desperate email to, to his therapist who wrote back and said, you know, I have some ideas. 
do you think he'll talk to me? Um, let's try to do a Zoom call. And I said, yes. And my son was so excited. And, you know, if, if any of you have ever watched a three or four year old on Zoom, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't really hold their attention. They don't really understand, you know, the concept of if you run off screen, that person can't see you anymore. They can't really hear you. And he also gets really excited when, when Zoom comes on. So his speech therapist appeared on screen and he's, you know, bouncing on the couch cushions and yelling. And, you know, I got him to sit down and he had this little plastic syringe from his doctor's kit and he's banging it on the table, which is, you know, right next to the microphone. So his poor therapist is kind of recoiling from this noise. And, you know, at one point he like threw himself backwards and started picking his nose. And I was like, Oh my goodness, like this is not, not going well. And I, I don't know what to do because he needs this attention from her. And so I'm sitting there and she goes through various sounds and she encouraged us to take a break and run some laps and circles and come back. And she went through some more sounds and, he would practice a little bit and, and she showed me how to, you know, kind of position his mouth to make him say sounds a little more accurately. And we did it, but you know, by the end of 20 minutes or so, he was sliding onto the floor and was clearly done. And, you know, I'm not going to force him to sit there and, and talk to her. So, you know, he went off to, to play and, you know, she and I were both just kind of lamenting that this isn't ideal. And, she said, like, I just need his mouth. Like, I just, you know, need to be able to touch his, his face and manipulate his lips into this shape so he understands it. And I, ironically, I had just finished writing my article about how parents are now lacking these in-person therapies for their young kids. And so as soon as I closed the computer with the therapist, I called my editor and I, <laughs> I was like, I just sat through this therapy session that I've been writing about. And now I get it so much more. And I get, you know, why parents are so concerned and, and how this is going to play out, because that certainly was not as effective as my child getting in-person support. I think for some kids, it can be. For my kid, it wasn't. And I think a lot of parents are worried about that. So, you know, I ended up asking my <laughs> editor to send the story back to me. And rewrote the top because I just felt like, you know, I needed to, to get in there that I experienced this too. And I firsthand have seen what this is like and I see how hard it is, you know, so a lot of parents aren't feeling quite so alone. And I think it's really just helped me understand this that much more. I'm, I'm sad that I have to understand it more um, and experience it, but you know, it is a really important topic. So I'm, I'm glad in a way that, that I'm, I can write about it. Well, it's such an important point, Jackie. And of course, we've been, you know, many school districts around the country and, and early intervention providers have been experimenting with teletherapy. And as you said, there are instances where I'm sure it works, where, you know, especially in remote areas where a therapist cannot mm -hmm. get to, to children. Uh, but with, as you said, with particularly with young children, very young children, it can be hard to hold their attention. And so I think we're all testing the limits of teletherapy right now. And 
you know, I, I wish that we didn't have to learn it in real time, but you know, I think we're going to, I hope there's a lot of study and research going on to see when it's effective and when it's not. And you're fortunate to be a former special education teacher. So you actually knew and could help your son in ways that many other parents cannot and, and recognize that his speech was changing and, and regressing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was fortunate for all of you. Dr. Grace. Yeah, absolutely. Jackie, I have to ask, did you have another session with your therapist by any stretch of imagination <laughs> or did you decide maybe that was the, the one and only time that you would try that. So she, she emailed me after and said, would you like to do another session? Or if you want to try something else, I can record a video doing the, the specific sounds that we're working on. Um, Cause he has, you know, three or four sounds that they're really trying to improve on. And I jumped on the video option. I said, let's try a video <laughs> and you know, I can start it and stop it and, and whatnot. So she sent us a video and we sat down a few days ago and went through it. And, and it was, you know, it, it actually did seem to keep his attention a little more, um, which was interesting. I don't know if it was, there wasn't quite as much pressure, but he, so he was attentive, but he also didn't participate as much. So I had to sit there and really say, okay, she's now saying you say this sound, so let's do this together. So it was, it was a little more work, but it did keep his attention. So yeah, it's interesting to see it both ways. And I'm honestly not sure which way we're going to go. I think I'm going to keep showing that video a few more times. And we are also really trying to emphasize those sounds with him without also making him mad or annoyed, which, you know, I feel like is a delicate balance that, that parents are working with too is, you know, we want to help our kids with these, these therapies, but we also don't want to push them to the point where they don't want to do any of it at all. So that's what we're kind of trying to figure out right now is how much will he tolerate of us trying to work with him on this? Well, I think as Melody mentioned, you are fortunate in that you've got a person that you have related to and that connected with you and, and has made a special effort. In general, what are some of the ideas or some of the things you found out in writing the article that schools should be doing, could be doing, uh, and this wouldn't just be limited to preschool, but schools in general to address children with special needs that have much more severe needs than your son in most states school is not going to start back again until the fall. So we're looking at maybe a six month absence of uh, any services, even though Melody will be the first to say they're supposed to be there. The reality mm-hmm. may not be. So what are some of your impressions, reflections, thoughts about that? Right. Now, that's a great question. So my, my colleague, Caroline Preston, wrote a really fantastic piece that looked at older children with disabilities. And by older, I mean elementary, middle, high school. Um, So kind of a spectrum of children with disabilities and how concerned their parents are about regression. And from both those interviews that she did and the piece she wrote and then the interviews I've had, it seems like a lot of parents are saying, you know, we, we understand that you may not be able to, provide services exactly like we were getting in schools, but we want you to still try. And there are some 
parents I've spoken to who haven't heard from their speech therapist or haven't heard much from their schools. And I feel like that seems to be the most frustrating aspect is when there isn't any, you know, communication around what schools are going to try to do, or there's a sense that, um, like my colleague Neil Morton wrote in out of Seattle, there's a sense of, well, if we can't serve children with disabilities, then maybe we just shouldn't offer anything at all to anyone, which also isn't the answer. So parents, I'm hearing parents want, you know, a clear plan. So even if they aren't able, if they don't have the time to try these things that teachers are sending home, it's nice to have some resources and have some materials or ideas for things they can do to help their children. I'm trying to offer, you know, virtual resources or telehealth, however possible tips for parents. Like I, I spoke to one parent in San Francisco, her therapist has not contacted her about, well, she sent some resources, but she hasn't offered to do any um, telehealth sessions. But she did say, you know, while you're home with your children, her child also has um, a speech delay. She said, look, if, if you do nothing else, just try to speak to your child as much as possible. Narrate everything like we're told to do when, you know, we have a newborn who they can't talk to you, but just speak as much as you can around them. Um, so language bombardment, you know, reading as much as possible, anything to boost that language. So I feel like tips like that that are manageable for parents, parents are saying they really want those. And they want to know that schools and teachers are trying to still serve their kids, even, you know, as those schools and teachers are also struggling to kind of navigate this. So, I mean, to kind of sum it up, being ignored seems to be the biggest fear and the biggest frustration right now, because parents are pretty reasonable and understand it's it's a big transition for everyone, but they want to know that schools are working on this and are actively trying to help them and help their children. Uh, that's such a good point, Jackie. I just want to you know, say that I, I agree with you. It is not the right strategy that has been discussed in some parts of the country that, well, if we can't provide X and Y services like we have been being, we just won't provide any. Um, you know, schools must be trying to do something to do what they can. And as you said, parents, are they want to work with the school. They're, uh, I've, I've been reading and seeing some kind of fear-mongering going out there that, oh, this is putting schools in such legal jeopardy that parents are going mm-hmm. to take legal action against against the schools. And there's just no evidence that that is the case. And I read a really good article recently about three experts that I know that have, you know, from different perspectives. And, you know, they all – one represents school districts, one represents parents in due process cases, and one covers the law and special education. And they all agreed mm. on the same thing. And they said, work together, collaborate with the parents, put progress first, put progress ahead mm. of the process. The process will take care of itself. And, you know, mm-hmm. find ways, figure out what you can do and do that and document those decisions. And it's just so, I can't imagine how frightening it must be for parents of children with really significant needs whose children are getting multiple therapies and seeing multiple people during the day. And they're home with, you know, like all the rest of us are with other children and with jobs to do. And I I can imagine that it's just can be overwhelming for some parents to deal with this right now. I wanted to just help everybody to remind them and 
Melody's previous position. So what she says may have some weight. And Jackie, I don't know if she's indicated to you what she did prior to her return to Mississippi. So Melody, I think it's worthwhile for you to explain what your previous job was. <laughs> well, uh, from 2010 until to the end of 2015, I was director of the Office of Special Education Programs in the U.S. Department of Education, OSEP. And, uh, you know, it's the office that administers the IDEA that covers children from birth uh, until, you know, the age of 21. So uh, I, that's why I highly am encouraging uh, schools to, you know, to work with parents and to do what's right by children. I am disappointed in the support for waivers that, you know, in the CARES Act that was recently passed by Congress. There was a provision put in there um, that, directs the Secretary of Education to develop a report within 30 days on what waivers of IDEA might be necessary at this time. And the truth is, um, I've been through this from the Katrina standpoint here in Mississippi and when I was State Director of Special Education, and, you know, there's tremendous amount of flexibility already in the law. And never since 1975 have the individual rights of children and families been waived. And I feel strongly that this is no time to, to be waving at. Now, if you want to wave, you know, data reporting for states and things like that, but as far as waving individual child rights, I feel very strongly that that would be a huge mistake. So there, Jackie, you see <laughs> voice of authority to support what you're saying. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate the fact that from a, you're willing to talk about this from a parent standpoint because this is a personal issue. And uh, my child went through speech therapy for uh, a long time. He's 53 right now, and he has no problem in speaking. He speaks a whole lot, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but we had a lot of different journey uh, points along the way with him, and I know the importance of therapy, and I know the point of when you have to help children move from the isolation when things are actually being able to be spoken in the therapy sessions to the use of it in conversation and how that is a transition period that uh, sometimes is a little troublesome for, for children. So it sounds like that you all are doing what you can to make the transition occur uh, in day-to-day conversations. We're talking about parents who, as you mentioned, you have a master's degree, your husband I'm sure is well-schooled, what are your thoughts about parents who may not have the knowledge that you have? The, Melody mentioned, you know, the rights of the child, which also would mean the rights of the parents. What are some things that, that you think should be done, could be done to inform the parents who may not have this knowledge about what they should be expecting for schools to do? Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's something I was trying to figure out as I was reporting on early intervention, my initial bigger piece before, you know, it kind of changed into a look at how therapy now isn't being offered, um, because there are, I mean, there's there's data that show early intervention is so effective, but a very small percentage of kids who are probably eligible for it actually are involved in an early intervention. And so I, I started digging into why that is. And, and you know, to, to your point, and that kind of um, builds in this general, you know, lack of, I feel like, knowledge that parents may have, not from their own fault, but from a lack of awareness of what's available or what their rights are, which is something I also saw when I was a special education teacher. A lot of parents didn't know their rights. 
you know, or I'd have parents say, I think there's something going on. I don't know what to do. And they didn't know, you know, all you have to do is write a letter. Well, I say all you have to do. I mean, that's not, that doesn't seem like, you know, how would they know that that's what they need to do? But they didn't know that that's what they would do to start the referral process for special education. So there, there is a lack of awareness. And as I was talking to experts to try to figure out, you know, how do we raise awareness for parents and how do we help parents learn more about what they can do to help their kids, they kept coming back to the importance of pediatricians. And they said, you know, pediatricians are really important to kind of give this information to parents and pass along parenting tips. But here we are where a lot of parents aren't going to their pediatricians now, right? So it's very hard right now because a lot of those touch points for parents just aren't there. So I would say, I mean, for parents, what I've found, I've gotten a lot of emails from various organizations um, like First Five in California and various other organizations that work in early ed or special education that are really trying to give parents, you know, toolkits, so to speak, on what they can do with their kids and um, the kind of help that they're eligible for, even if it doesn't look like what it would, you know, outside of coronavirus. So, you know, I would, I would tell parents to look for some of these early ed organizations in their area, look for early intervention service providers in their area, and reach out because a lot of those organizations are, you know, still open to help refer children for services um, via virtual methods. A lot of them are willing to help parents figure out what their rights are and what schools could be doing for their children, and they're wanting to help. So they want to make sure they're connecting with parents. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I mean, really searching online, uh, asking for referrals from friends, for organizations they worked with that may be able to help um, parents advocate and get connected with some strategies. That's probably the the best thing that parents can do right now if they're not really sure what to do and they're they're worried about their children. Well, I thank you for your time, and I'm going to turn this back over to Melody to see if she has any final words. But speaking from a professional, speaking from the heart of a parent, we do appreciate your time and your ability to share with us. So thanks so much. For your yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And just I, I don't think we can emphasize enough the importance of early intervention. And you know, just to clarify that it's different in every state, and each state sets mm-hmm. their own criteria for eligibility uh, under the Part C program that serves children birth to the age of three. So, you know, I know that parents have lots of questions. They may say, well, a parent, you know, that I have a friend in another state and her child's getting services and my child has not been. And so it does vary by state, but every state has a parent training information center uh, that's funded by the Office of Special Education Programs. Uh, reach out to the parent center, ask questions. Um, they can ho- hopefully you know, point you in the direction of some additional resources, but we thank you for being here and just encourage parents out there to hang in there and to ask for help and look for resources that can be beneficial. We really appreciate you being with us, Jackie, on Ed's Up. Thanks, Jackie. Of course, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Today's Lit Bit is by Ralph Waldo Emerson. This is my wish for you, and it's from relicsworld.com. 
This is my wish for you. Comfort on difficult days, smiles when sadness intrudes, rainbows to follow the clouds, laughter to kiss your lips, sunsets to warm your heart, hugs when spirits sag, beauty for your eyes to see, friendships to brighten your being, faith so that you can believe, confidence for when you doubt, courage to know yourself, patience to accept the truth, love to complete your life. That's This Is My Wish For You by Ralph Waldo Emerson from RelicsWorld.com. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at edsup at olemiss.edu. Until next time, bye-bye. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 